Spike Ops Info Podcast. Episode 9, Barry Tompkins. undercover police officers who was deployed at the end of the 1970s, uh, Barry Tompkins. Oh, yeah, 1979 to 1983. Yeah. When we look at his, the start of his deployment, um, it's right in the aftermath of the killing of Blair, Blair Peach he's deployed, right? That's right, yeah. It's one of the issues which like, the police were just the most like, would shut up shop about when we were at the inquiry, right? And like, just generally, like, cops just don't want to deal with like, answering any questions about that incident. Yeah, it was an uncomfortable question for almost all, well, I think actually all of them, not almost all of them, even say like Graham Coates, who was quite open, for instance, on the misogynist attitude of the SDS officers. Um, but when it came to Blair Peach, he was very much like, shut up shop. Yeah, entirely, man. And it's like, so I think it's really telling that like this guy is deployed like in the immediate aftermath. And I mean, so his first reports are from like Friends of Blair Peach campaign group meetings. Um, and I, like it's, I mean, as much as, like, he's obviously has other things that he does later on, but you kind of really get the impression that his immediate deployment is maybe some sort of reaction to... Yeah, that's more, yeah, more than possible. Specifically, he denies being the author of a number of reports which seem to raise various issues of controversy, and this is one of them. Yeah. He, he pretty much says that it wouldn't have been possible for, for him to know all the attendees of Blair Peach's funeral, for instance... I mean, like that. I mean, that's something we heard so many times from these undercover cops, though, at the inquiry, wasn't it? I mean, like, as soon as it was anything, like, oh, that's a bit of a difficult one. That wasn't me. That's not my report. Definitely not me. I mean, I, I believe that you know that like um, that loads of these reports were written like by multiple people by definition of how they collected the evidence. Like, so I'm sure that his information was combined with that of others. But the idea that he wasn't, you know, partially responsible for the reports that have got his name on. It's like, come on, mate. But when he's deployed, though, he's like, he claims that he was told that not like to, to infiltrate the far left, but not the ones that were already yeah. infiltrated, like the SWP and so yeah. forth. Who, had, who they already had quite a lot of coverage of. Mm. So he just started going to, to meetings uh, randomly and he ended up um, partially because he was based in the East End of London, like many other undercovers. He started going to meetings of the Spartacist League of, of Britain. The were, Sparts! The Sparts, yeah, as, as, as in Dave Spart, famously <laughs> from Private Eye. Um, I suppose that's probably the most well-known manifestation of them. Literally, if you go on their Wikipedia page, it, it, it's one of it, like it's about two, three paragraphs and then a link to the Dave Spart page. Um, they, were, <laughs> they were another pretty small group um, from... When I, I, for the hearing started, I, I wrote a sort of like a, a profile of Barry Tompkins, but bearing in mind nobody actually remembers him. And also, at that point in time, the only information we had on Barry Tompkins was his date of deployment, and the inquiry said he only infiltrated one group, the Spartacist League of Britain, which, as it turned out, was completely wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm personally a bit annoyed about that because it, it involved me reading through three years of um, Worker's Hammer. Um, as, as it turns out, I, I needn't have done that. So, Would, I'm brutal. Understandably bitter about that. But, uh, yeah. So, but I mean, he he did infiltrate the the Spartacus League of Britain at first, but not very long. He he, he, well, he hung around them for a lot of his deployment to some extent. He he never became a member. As 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 indeed the person who I spoke to from the the, the league, he was active at that time. He explained. 
you know, in short, he would never have passed the exams. Basically, to join, to become a, a proper member of the Special Spartacus League of Britain, as with other, other groups at the time, you basically had to go on a seven-day course to make sure you were properly politically aligned. It's wild. That, I mean, I, I, maybe groups do it these days. I, I don't know of any, but like that kind of thing of like you've got to pass an exam to enter, man. It's like, it's a bit mental, isn't it? Yeah, well, it seems certainly that group and another group that Tompkins spied upon that revolutionary communist tendency which came the revolutionary communist party these are these are all truck groups right these are all trotskyist groups um although in some ways the spartacist league were maybe in some ways closer you know getting into a bit of left-wing political train spotting this is nothing if not left-wing political train spotting podcast it is really so in some ways they they were anti-revisionist in the sense they they did support Although critically, the the Soviet Union, um, even though they said it's, it's quite a <laughs> a funny phrase, but a very common one, which it was a deformed worker state. Uh, yes, the deformed workers. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so I mean, he, he jumped around all these little left wing groups, but I mean, they were all falling out with each other all the time, anyway, right? Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things he says in in terms of how he ended up hanging around with the Spartacists. Um, was that he had a chat with a few of them and they talked about throwing, expressing pride at throwing bricks at police officers during the miners' strike in 1972 or 1974. There was two strikes in the, yeah, yeah, you know, prior to that. But that seemed to be incorrect because this is like 1977, no, no sorry, 1979. Yeah. And the Spartans League only really formed in London only in 1978. And at that time, most, if not all, the members were not uh, British residents. In, in fact, um, at least according to the official party records, um, members from other countries, from the States, and also, and notably from Australia and New Zealand, were actually sent to the UK to form a, a branch in the UK. Yeah, I mean, so the Spartacus League were one of those, like, we've come across a few of them when we're looking at 1970s politics. These sort of, like, internationally directed, I think it was, like, was it Canada was their home? The US. It was US. US. Okay, yeah. So, like, it was one of these ones which, like, kind of had, like, a centre somewhere else and was directing, like, uh, local parties to be set up in, in various different countries. Uh, and yet, from what I, having read the three, three uh, years of the newspapers, <laughs> why, they were very much centrally controlled. Um, right. From the states, of, and they had, you know, they had like an international conference in the UK as well, that, and it was very much, you know, a top-down organisation. Uh, sure. So. Yeah. Whoever he met who was showing pride about 1974 and the miners' strike chucking bricks or whatever was either lying or he was lying. There's, it doesn't, I mean, matter, doesn't add up, right? Yeah, it doesn't add up at all, no. He, he's in the, the Sparts for a bit, but he, like you say, he doesn't actually join because he can't... He, 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 wouldn't expect him to pass the exam. But he, he jumps around a few different groups then, didn't he? Like different attendances and... Uh, well, yeah, they're all... They're, they're tendencies and leagues. I mean, the, the use of language is so... Yeah, I mean, a tendency normally... The difference between, for those who are um, blissfully ignorant of these things, a tendency is normally a group of people within an already existing organisation um, and they only become a party once they actually split or get chucked out of that one. Um, right. So, uh, but if you like, the only, if you like, the other bigger, when I say bigger, I, I use that word wisely, biggest party was, uh, was uh, when he joined it, was called the Revolutionary Communist Tendency, which became 
pretty soon afterwards, the Revolutionary Communist Party. Oh, okay, which you know, like they, they've run and run, haven't they, really? Yeah, indeed, and you know, some of them obviously ended up in the Brexit Party eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the oddest, oddest end to a train spot, left wing train spot story, isn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, in, in some way, you know, despite their odious politics, you could say they were like probably some of them a group of the most more successful people. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But on a personal level, I'm sure they've been incredibly Brendan, successful. What's his name? Brendan from Brendan O'Neill, is Brendan it? O'Neill. Um, so, like, like a lot of these um, these small left wing groups, they're obviously involved in like kind of more broad sort of things. So he kind of was coming into contact with lots of other people, particularly through their like anti racist group, Workers Against Racism. You see a lot of this sort of thing of like though these undercover officers are like. Um, they're infiltrating a like a, like a a small group or activist organization. By definition, like those activist groups are like kind of have a wider sort of get involved in wider politics. They get involved in coalitions with all sorts of other groups, um, and like you know uh, also trade unions. I mean, he he ended he, he denies it, but according to his reports, he joined the TGWU. Yes, right, yeah, and yeah. So so the RCP they did the Revolutionary Communist Party. Mm. They did have a number of fronts organizations and that is probably one of the main differences between them and the Spartacy who refused on some kind of point of principle to have any popular front type of organization they never in the UK joined um, any kind of coalition um, purity purity <laughs> though weirdly the the originator party in the states were happy to do so so I'm not quite sure why they specifically refused to do that in the UK. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, RCP, one of the... So, actually, Tompkins remembered the Workers Against Racism as a shoot of the Spartacus, offshoot of the Spartacus League of Britain, which is not true, and that he actually recognises in this statement that it was actually the RCP. Um, so, yeah, there was this... Uh, workers Against Racism, specifically East London Workers Against Racism, and, and they did... They basically attempted to... Pr- provide solidarity and, and physical support to people who were uh, victims of, of racist attacks. Right, yeah, and obviously, like, at that time, you know, there's a whole bunch of, of legal defence campaigns from, like, racist attacks that have happened in that area, and he comes into contact with all of those as well. Yeah, quite a few that he names, but well, at least names... At least the reports are attributed to him. He denies that on a, a number of them there were. So, but for instance, the, the New Cross Massacre Action Committee, Winston Rose Action Campaign, mm. um, and the Hackney Legal Defence Committee, uh, and the New M8 Defence Campaign, all all to do with either racist attacks or racist policing. Um, yeah, came sort of like denying it. It's, it's a real pattern of anything which seems to be like controversial, like any of these sort of topics. Like the undercover officers are, are, are in swift denial mode. Um, it's like that, that's just too hot to admit to. Yeah, indeed. And we can kind of see the angle with the police for one report, which was to do with a, the case of a 13 year old boy who was beaten up and stabbed by police officers. In Nottingham, in Notting Hill, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say allegedly there or not. No, I mean, <laughs> like that's what happened. Like, you know what I mean? That's like, even if you know, come on. And he was asked specifically whether this incident would have the same agitative effect as the case of Colin Roach, who's again another justice campaign which was spied upon by the SDS. Mm. I mean, interesting. I think we can say it didn't, since we're talking about the case of a 13-year-old boy as opposed to someone's name. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, like that, this is one of the great things of like for every justice campaign that you're aware of, there are many others which never got any sort of profile. Yeah, I mean, Tompkins' justification for that in his written statement 
was that um, he spied upon these kind of campaigns in case these r racist incidents should have been reported to the police. It's like fucking laughable. I mean, it's like fuck you, man. What the kind of fucking I mean, statement is that? If they trusted the police, they would have reported them. <laughs> the, the idea that the police were unaware of the the, 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 the the numerous amount of racist attacks that were happening at the time, like it's just it's just so such a ridiculous statement. And like yeah. he's obviously like who does he think he's fooling by saying something like that? Like I mean, yeah, yeah clearly that is not a role of an undercover officer to be like. Like a contact point for victims of racist attacks. It's like, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Um, but yeah, so like his reports, though, man. Like he was, um, like uh, so. Some of the we, we've heard lots of uh, various former undercover officers using like quite racial language and some quite sexual language when describing certain um, activists and people they were spying upon. But I think it's fair to say Barry Tompkins really kind of. He set a new low, really, with that. Yeah, there's lots of standout standouts from his deployment, one of which is horrendous, really. There's, for instance, a report on uh, the sexual act activity of some of one particular member of a, the revolutionary Marxist tendency, uh, another group we've not mentioned yet. Um, so, for instance, he says the subject of the report was presently indulging in a sexual relationship and judging by the depressing irregularity with which the redacted individual suffers from attacks of cystitis, neither is, is permitting the redacted tenuous position in the, in the United Kingdom, meaning their, their, their sort of uh, their immigration status, to interfere with their more immediate sexual needs. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff he was on about, like, kind of there's somebody who's like had an abortion, has talked about, somebody from, like, stealing party funds to pay off a sex worker, and that they had a physical deformity. I mean, like, just, like, really just, like, um, I mean, there's, there's also the lactating on demand comment, which just, like, about, which I, I just sounds, it's just a mental detail to put in about somebody and show, and suggests, just like a glimpse into what he was, like, all the various other things he was up to. I mean, sadly, uh, because of his supposed ill health, we didn't get to actually hear him at the inquiry. Yes, so we just left with him denying in his written statement that any, any of these, uh, the more controversial of these reports or anything to do with him. Which is like, I mean, I'm like, you really, I mean, like, come on, man. Like, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. They're all under your name. They've all got this particular style, which is, you know, it includes this particular sort of interest in people's sexual habits and sexual like misadventures, I guess, is the only way I can really describe them. Um, and like, and you know, it was that, that, was, that bit's not me. It's like, oh, come on, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, quite a few of the SD officers of that era are not appearing because of ill health. Yeah. Actually, they are old men. So to some extent, you can't come say, oh, that's a load of rubbish. But with him, because he, he provided this very long written statement, and then, as we understand it, the inquiry, we're going to put further facts to him, um, specifically regarding uh, an alleged regarding an alleged sexual relationship that he had. So it does seem that his illness was more convenient. I mean, the other thing I should say that Tompkins does not live in the UK, so the inquiry has no legal powers to compel him to appear. All very convenient. Yeah, I mean, like, you can just imagine him some, like, you know, horrible, like, um, sunburnt character sat on the Costa del Sol, you know, kind of eating egg and chips and, like, kind of remembering his days of brutality and sexual abuse, like, you know. Like he's an odious character, right? Yeah, on, on, on many fronts, he's one of the, I suppose, I suppose you could say ironic in one sense, but it seems that Tompkins' alleged sexual relationship was detected um, by, by an MI5 telephone bug. 
So we're, it doesn't actually specifically say that, but that's the clear inference from the documents that we do have access to. Yeah, which, I mean, this kind of brings back this thing, this oversight from the security services over the SDS. Um, you know, like, they, 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 what, they're checking up on them regularly? What's that about? Well, I, I think it was accidental to some extent, and right. it, but it also speaks to how widespread the surveillance was of like everybody so yeah the, you know sort of bugging and surveillance was so widespread it was just it just happenstance that um that mi5 recorded two other activists talking about barry's girlfriend in inverted commas yeah as he had probably bedded that he had probably bedded a woman and then mi5 warns the sds hierarchy the special branch hierarchy that they had heard this i mean it's his excuse for like no it wasn't my girlfriend i just used to when she became newly single, I started going around there and staying the night, but I never slept with her. I mean, well, just... well he, he actually, the woman, that, none, of these, none of these individuals' names we have access to, they're all redacted. So this, mm. this particular person was this woman who'd who done this party trick of lactating on demand at, at party, an activist. And, but she, but he, what he says, he actually denies knowing her. And in fact, he only remembers that for that, her for that particular reason. Uh, but he, he does concede that he developed another relationship, a close relationship, right, right, yeah, yeah. Said, with a different woman, an ex-partner of an activist whom he'd been spying on. Um, and Tompkins relates that he just randomly bumped into her uh, and then decided in his cover identity to strike up a, a platonic, so he says, relationship with her, which involved going around to a flat, getting pissed, too pissed, apparently, to drive home. Um, Unusual for an undercover cop because normally they like doing that. Well, yeah, it, 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 apparently from, yeah, from other undercover cops, it was perfectly permissible to drink drive. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and he says, as a result, some act, explaining this apparent relationship away, he explained that some activists began to refer to her as Barry's girlfriend, but he he didn't correct them because he thought it was helpful for his cover. Yeah, I don't believe any of that. Even if it was true that it was platonic, uh, maybe it was, it is quite possible to have a platonic relationship with a woman and not have sex with her within an activist group. Oh, of course, absolutely. Like uh, undercover seemed to say that it was impossible to do. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. I, but, but, but I don't but, believe that that's what he was doing, though. But he, he says in this statement that she was not a target of his surveillance. So why the hell was he striking up this relationship in his under undercover identity, presumably getting paid? on the payroll, it just doesn't, uh, what, what was he doing? Even yeah. if it wasn't a sexual relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And if it wasn't a sexual relationship, it's still, it's a deep personal relationship, right? I mean, it's like enough to stay over the house on a regular basis where yeah. she had children. So he's like, look, he's like, you're hanging around with her and the children. I well, mean, it, the idea that it's like, just because they didn't have sex doesn't mean that it's like, an ex that anyway explains away. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. what he says, he was sad that he had to disappear from this woman's life. Well, fucking boo, hey, what about her? Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to come on to about Barry Tompkins was his, um, his, like, his supposed attempted recruitment by the USSR, which is, I mean, it's, it's a strange one. It is a strange one, and it's actually unique. Yeah. And I want I mean, this, uh, a brief overview is that he was approached at a Revolutionary Communist Party meeting by a man who turned out to be the, uh, the military attaché at the Soviet embassy. So it was definitely that, the right... It definitely was a Soviet agent who tried to recruit Well, it, it's, it seems to be backed up by MI5. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Layers of, like... No. And, well, go, go, I mean, it's quite... The story, in some ways, for us going through all this 
grime and muck mm. and sordid story is actually a bit of light re- relief in some <laughs> ways because it's like a bit of Cold War <laughs> intrigue where there, where there isn't really a victim. As the inquiry recognised itself, this this episode was unique. Right, and yeah. And you think about it, well, you know, so the SDS are two duties, public order and the secondary one, let's say, of subversion, specifically mm. helping MI5. Now, if they were doing anywhere near what they should should have been doing or what their aim was in terms of countering subversion, this kind of incident should have been really common. Yeah, right. This is like this is what people think spies are up to, isn't it? It's quite a, there's quite there's like half a dozen documents relating to this, mainly MI5 ones um, on this. It goes through in, into some detail on it. Um, I don't, but to, to skip to the end, basically. So, so, um, so Tom, Tompkins was the. There's a number of in his written statement, Thomas has actually said he was approached to become some kind of courier for the Soviets. Now, I'm a bit we're a bit confused, and, and, and to some extent, in his reports, he seemed to be why the Soviets thought a member of the Revolutionary Communist Party could be useful in acquiring intelligence about the British state. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, he doesn't speak well of this military attaché either. No, particularly. no. He, so I mean, he seems to be a bit desperate. But... Yeah, yeah. So he's in the proto RCP at the time, right? He, he was, and this, yeah. this is the context he was approached, and so he he ended up meeting this guy privately in, in a, the pub at the Britannia Public Court House in, in Mare Street in East London. When, when one day we're going to do a pub crawl round. Yeah. Well, when this podcast really successful, we're going to meet up with people on a pub crawl round famous spy cops pubs. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of pubs which still exist where MI5 and the SDS officers met together. So we can that'll be a good one to go to. Yeah, yeah. But um, so he was approached. So yes, approached to be a courier, and then now this this part is not in any other documents. So this is just in his written statement that he was said he was he was going to be. He was with this guy basically offered for him to go to the Soviet Union to be trained up, kind of like a busman's holiday, I suppose, for Tom Kent in a way. So turn him into a real spy. Now this part is not in any of the MI file and MI five files. Now I suspect that either there was one possibility Tompkins is making this bit up, or secondly, which I probably think is quite a good candidate, that actually Special Branch didn't tell MI five this bit because. For MI5, the idea they could have somebody being sent to the Soviet Union involved in a training program would have been like, bingo. <laughs> so maybe um, the Special Branch kind of protected him from the pressure to actually take up this offer. Yeah, I mean, the, the impression I got was that one of like kind of the Special Branch going, oh shit, this is all a bit serious. Oh bloody hell. Ah, well, you know, eject, eject, eject. Like. So, uh, you'll get found out really quickly, son. Let's not do anything like that. So there was a series of meetings between Special Branch, SDS, Hierarchy, and um, people from the from F6, a branch of MI5, about what they were going to do about this situation. And basically, so here we have an opportunity for the SDS to directly, if you like, help. Um, I'm using inverted commas. Britain's fight against the Soviet Union mm. and. What was their answer? They said no. (laughs) Basically, they said because they they, they didn't want it to compromise their operation, which is from what we know now of all their other operations. (laughs) Right. Um, Because that's what they're basically excuses. They said that the SDS strike special branches main thing was was prevention of crime. But we we know that they specifically SDS didn't do 
sod all about absolute, preventing crime. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Like so, yeah. So they were, you know, basically gifted this opportunity, or you know, in terms of Cold War politics of actually, you know, d- doing something concrete in inverted commas, mm. you know, <laughs> and they well. They said, no, thanks. Uh, we just carry on um, doing pointless activities. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, d- disrupting the, uh, the revolutionary left instead. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah as, as soon as there were actually any sort of actual subversive activity, they got cold feet, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so, like, I mean, well, it was quite interesting because what he does instead is instead of going off to, to um, the Soviet Union to get trained up as a, as a double agent, he um, splits the. The, the 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 tiny left wing group he's in into an even smaller group, yeah, he, he which won't. he sets up himself. Again, this is another. I mean, it's, it is a real shame he didn't testify because there's so many elements of his deployment, especially compared to some others who did give mm. evidence live, which were, you know, was a bit dull, to be honest. Yeah, incredibly dull in some cases. <laughs> but he, yeah, he, he's well, that, the, I mean, that is a tactic, I think. I mean, like you know, I mean, that is a way of like dulling, keeping everything dull, just to like kind of hide things. Yeah, but, yeah. As, as far as we know, he's the only one. He he basically created his own faction. Mm. Impressive. A three-person mm. faction, which we think was one member from the Sparts, what, and one member, disaffected member from the Revolution communist tendency and he describes these people as quite good friends uh inverted commas again mm. um so we think he, he he said he can't actually remember the name of the group that he formed but we, the most likely candidate um is a group called the revolutionary labor league uh and in, in fact there's Elsewhere on the internet, there's one document from them. We will, we will quote, we will link to that in the show notes. Yeah. But if you like, if you like, if you like, their main archive consists of special branch reports that Tompkins made. I mean, that's quite, that's quite impressive. I mean, we did, I was, I was talking recently to some Americans who were saying that there was like a faction of, um, a Maoist faction in the US which was entirely invented by the FBI. Uh, but like, I mean, you know, Obviously, much smaller scale, and also in the Netherlands as well. It was totally run by the Dutch state. Yeah, yeah, as well. But the, the, I suppose again, a bit of a, a laughable element that Tolkien specifically states that this three-person faction <laughs> did not try to recruit anybody else. There was just like three of them hanging out, not literally um, doing anything. There's this. Well, there's this one leaflet. Uh, that they did, which is actually, uh, having read through it, although in some ways it's similar to other Trotskyist propaganda at the time, it is particularly poorly written, stroke proofed. It has loads of typos, and you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what's what's its the the main thing that it's uh, opposing? It's, it's slagging off other groups of I being mean, revolutionary inadequate, which I mean, is in classic. some ways takes its lead from. I think it's. I mean. As I say, I've spoken to one person from the the, the Spartacist League of Britain, and they did specialise, it seemed, in, in critiquing other groups' positions. Mm. So I guess, in in some ways, um, <laughs> it's not surprising that this you know um, special branch created faction did a, did a similar. I mean, thing. it is. I think it's very telling, though, that you know, I mean, like, there's there's been a lot of, um, and it's always something that's hard to sort of separate out. How much is this because of the culture of the left or how much is this because of the undercover police but like you know uh, n- splits and denouncements and people getting thrown out and people walking out of groups and new groups forming with the express purpose of just slagging off the previous groups they were in um, I mean there's there's a lot of undercover cops in the middle of those situations um, you know I mean and like 
it's, I mean, draw your own conclusions about how, how much it's the cops' fault or how much it's the left wing culture fault, but it's certainly the two seem to go very much hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, this particular it's just like an absurd, it's just so absurd that I mean, similar actually with his this supposedly platonic relationship with this woman he had in his undercover identity. It's why there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason, even. It's hard, yeah. Well, so the, I mean, this is also one of the, um, this is the officer. We, we heard from um, another undercover officer during the last round of the inquiry, Michael James, who shared a flat yes. with Barry Tompkins. I mean, I mean, he was quite, it was quite funny when it was put to him that this wasn't this a bit dangerous. You meant to be from different sort of sections of the left, infiltrating different groups, and you decided to get a flat together, to which he replied, well, it was a nice flat. And you should have seen the flat I was put in before. It was dreadful. And I mean, he was very keen and was stopped repeatedly by the Council of the Inquiry from like explaining the like the internal problems with like um, uh, claiming expenses and having like a, a, a shit flat, which he was originally uh, yeah. like designated, and then this nice flat that he'd found that was nice. He found it, and his mate by was Windgarves on it, and it was it was much easier for everybody, and it was a nice flat. Yeah. And I mean, you get this impression of like that it was. You know, all these different things that he did. Well, it was just easy for him. It was easy and comfortable for him. Yeah, in, co in contrast, his knowledge of what Tompkins was up to was virtually nil. Oh, I mean, like, you know, once, as usual, if you want to see solidarity, listen to a cop talk about their ex-colleagues. Yeah, yeah, one of the issues, well, it's come up repeatedly, that it seemed to be a very common thing, almost all of them said, that they hardly ever discussed their de deployments with other officers, yeah. and yet they were the only ones they were allowed to speak to. Yeah, so I mean, like, just uh, just not a believable thing. There's certainly something that Graham Coates really put, like, a, a, you know, a coaching horses through the middle of the idea of, you know, that actually they did talk about their deployments. Of course they did. <laughs> the idea that they wouldn't is, you know, unbelievable. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's in the RPC. He has this little tiny group. Um, uh, you know, when it, when it comes for him to leave, you know... <sighs> well, the, the, this little tiny group, I think, merges with another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's actually a, a website called Splits and Fusions um, because basically these these especially Trotskyist groups did this kind of thing split up and then join up with other groups so regularly yeah. that sort of traces the history of them and, and that's where we, we've got the very small amount of sort of publicly available information on these mm. uh, minuscule groups yeah one of the other things I should say that which is I thought was inaccurate in his statement when I read it through was that he said that um, members of, for instance, the Revolutionary Communist Party and the Spartacus League of Britain sort of freely mixed and were virtually interchangeable. And um, so my limited, limited, limited knowledge of of that thought, oh, that doesn't seem, because they were very much um, separatist groups who had their own very uh, rigid ideological positions at the time. Sectarian as fuck, but... They were sectarian as fuck, and I, I actually checked this with my, my Spartacist former Spartacist contact uh, yesterday. <laughs> our man in the Spartans. Uh, our man in the Spartans. And he confirmed that. I mean, it said, uh, among a number of other things, um, yeah, that was a, a total inaccuracy. Um, he was also the one who, who actually pointed out about the, 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 the mention about the inconsistency in terms of the, the, his recruitment into the Spartans being to do with... Um, his surveillance of the Spartans being to do with the the, the violence at the minor strike that, that that didn't really work time wise. So and he um, hopefully he, I actually asked him if he would come on to the podcast one time and and speak to us. And he, he, he that's under consideration. So uh, I'm sure we will return to the Spartacus League in, in many other sections in, in later on in this podcast series. Um, one other point I'd, I'd like to make about the the the, the MI5 documents which relate 
to Tompkins and also other undercovers, one of the, if you like, I guess that we knew it to some extent, but it's spelled out there that where the SDS did not have undercovers in, it seemed that MI5 did their best to have informers in those groups where there were gaps. Right, right. So, which is like another, I mean, I don't want to make people paranoid because... Um, if, if you you seem to be missing, if you seem to have a a group which w wasn't named as being infiltrated, then uh, especially during, maybe not in 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 my and Tom's era in the sort of post Cold War era, but certainly in the Cold War era, it's quite likely that MI five would have at least attempted to have some kind of um, civilian informer in your group. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the scale of informers just generally in like within policing is so enormously big. Um, that you know, we should shudder to think the size of, of political informers that, yeah. are, that have existed and probably still exist this day. I don't know what you thought before we started all this or got involved in all this palaver. Yeah. I always thought it would have been special branch which should have run the civilian informers and MI5, which would have had the sort of proper spies, if you like, the paid state spies. Yeah, like, totally. It seems to be the other way around. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, isn't it? Because I think, like, for so many of us, the I mean, what I always used to think of as what would be the actual, um, what, what like spies in our kind of movement would be, would is what like um, the SDS, pre-SDS special branch, you know, the, the, the plain clothes officers, you know, um, you know the, the people who became SDS, what they first did. That, that's what I can imagine, people turning up to meetings, turning up to demos. Yeah, who would have e easily been spotted by their policeman's shoes. I mean, um, so what, another thing about uh, Tompkins, after he, he, he leaves the, um, the police, he ends up as a, pri as a private investigator for a while. Um, I mean, his evidence on this I don't think is particularly interesting, but I, mean, I think that the, that the whole sort of... But there is like that these these men who are trained by the police as undercover officers like they obviously go on to use it in other spheres later on. That's right, and the the, the basically the inquiry granted us one question on, on that, which was very narrow, which was mm. to the under to the, all the former undercovers, which was did you go undercover for a private company for a private investigatory firm, mm. and apart from Tompkins, have all said no. But what we really wanted to ask was like, did they use then apply their knowledge mm. of activist groups more generally? So you know, and then work for a security firm, which, which seems much more likely that they did. They became like absolutely you know, analysts, if you like, for these companies. Yeah, and there's I mean, there's enough. Uh, we over the years I've come across enough companies that were offering those kind of services to the corporate world. But but like you know, just learning the right words to say to kind of keep those uh, the, the the reinvestments every year, the budget keep coming. You know, I mean, like that's one of the great things that they would have learned whilst in you know the special demonstration squad. Uh, one of the other things that's come up before once or twice is that Tompkins describes about five years after he left the special demonstration squad, he was contacted by another officer. Um, who he believes was the officer in charge at the time and asked Tompkins about a particular report, I think to do with a, a member of the Revolutionary Communist Party or potentially the Sparts, um, whether his reporting regarding a particular individual was was accurate. Um, and this, which he confirmed, um, and this was in, to do, in connection with a possible deportation. Right, yeah, yeah. So, and, and this is, I mean, as I say... We touched on this issue before with another officer, I can't remember which one now, to be honest, but in terms of obviously we think about, you know, blacklisted workers um, being obviously excluded from work because mm. of their trade union and activist mm. activity, but also talking about people with, you know, uh, uh, unsettled immigration status also being denied the British citizenship or, you know, leave to remain because of their political activity. And that's an, an aspect which I guess we, to some extent we haven't 
talked about uh, in this context too much. No, and I think there's probably a huge amount of that. I mean, it it, it says a lot that like the later like kind of head of the the unit was going back and checking the the you know the truthfulness of a report because I guess it wasn't uncommon for it not to be true uh, for a start. And then secondly, that you know this yeah this particular interest that oh like you know we could deport somebody you know like uh, the British law enforcement gets all excited about that oh we might be able to deport someone quick you know get yeah. Get that guy's information verified. One of the part of special branches' duties, of course, was to you know hang around at ports eventually. Mm. So that sort of links in there as well. Yeah, totally, totally. So yeah, Barry Tompkins. Uh, if I mean, if you were in the Spartacus League or the Revolutionary Combatants Tendency or any of those other groups, yeah. and you may have known him, please do get in touch. Well, actually, I actually tracked down yet only yesterday somebody from somebody from the. Revolutionary Marxist um, tendency, and he, he emailed me back um, uh, with glee, saying it, he was the first person to get thrown out of that group. Why well, he he was at the back? Oh, fair person. play! Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So I, I, I sent him the, all the report. That there was like half a dozen reports from Tomkins on that group, which I sent him the links to, as well as Tomkins' statement. Um, he, unfortunately, as with every everybody else. Today, nobody can remember Barry Tompkins, but maybe once he, if he reads through his, his statement, maybe something will come up. Mm. Um, or if you knew Barry Tompkins, get in touch with the Undercover Research Group. We're grateful to the, com- the Campaign Opposing Police Surveillance for giving us a bit of funding so we can get some microphones. If you'd like to find out anything else about this topic, please check out spycops.info. And if you're able to give us a review with your podcast provider, particularly Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. <laughs>